0: Isaiah 29, and then also turn over to Mark chapter 7. I couldn't help but thinking about how appropriate the, the last song was, All That Thrills My Soul Is Jesus, to the title of the message today and the challenge for us. And the title of the message today is, Where Is Your Heart? Now, I could ask it in two different ways. I could emphasize, Where Is Your Heart? And then I could also ask, where is your heart? Because a lot of times we like to concern ourselves with the person sitting next to us. But this morning, I don't want you to consider where your wife's heart is and the relationship to the Lord or your children's relationship to the Lord. But the challenge for today is, where is your heart? Before I... Get to the scripture, do something a little bit different. I have another question that I would like to ask. And I know this morning that there are three different types of individuals in our service today or listening online um, concerning the condition of their soul. There are true saints among us today, people who truly love the Lord and have a good relationship with the Lord and desire to serve Him. Perhaps there are faults christians among us today those who have made professions and and they go to church and have been maybe professing christians for a while but as we'll see in our passage this morning their heart is far far from god they're just religious and then in our services today we would have unbelievers there are those listening or here today who have never trusted in the lord jesus christ At least they've never made a public profession and received scriptural baptism. And so we have these different people among us today, and the Word of God applies to all the above. The Word of God was written for all of us, and the challenges and the questions that are in it. And the question that I want to ask this morning, considering everyone who is here, is I want to see a show of hands of how many people want to go to hell. (laughs) Do we have any takers? I'm talking about not your idea of hell, but scriptural hell. There are fools in this world that say, well, I'd rather go to hell than. But people who say that have no idea about what hell really is. It's a lake of fire. Jesus called it outer darkness. In hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, It's not a place where you go to spend time with your homies in the afterlife and drink tequila and have a party. Um, Hell is solitary. When people die and go to hell, there is nobody there with you. You are there with your thoughts forever. And then um, I could ask the question in a show of hands, how many people here want to go to heaven when they die? Show of hands, how many people want to go to heaven when they die? But my question is, How many people here really want to go to heaven when they die? Now, not your idea of heaven. Not where your puppy goes when he dies. And all the nonsense, your goldfish. But the heaven according to the Word of God. The heaven that we see where the people of God and those who went to heaven spend their time rejoicing and worshiping the Lamb. Loving Jesus Christ. If you don't love Jesus Christ in this life, you do not want to go to heaven. Heaven is a place where we get to spend eternity with our creator, with the one who made us. And in heaven, it will be full of souls that are rejoicing in their salvation. And so there are people, perhaps here today, who are never going to go to heaven because in this lifetime they rejected Jesus Christ. But yet, don't we all want to go to heaven? See, do we really want to go to heaven? People in this life, too many times, have no desire, even professing Christians, have no real desire for God. It's not where their heart is. But what people do want to get away from in this life is facing the consequences of their sins. And so people are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, I, but I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I don't want to have to be a Christian. I don't want to have to follow God's commandments. I want to do what I want to do. And so there's this battle and there's this struggle. There is a warfare. Man is an enmity against God in his natural state. Now, perhaps the best case scenario was that there was no God to answer to. I'll admit, when I was a teenager, and as a young man, there were times in my early 20s that I wished that there wasn't a God. I was raised in a Christian home with a Baptist preacher and so forth, but I wished that this wasn't real. I was not yet a believer, and I wished that, why can't I just live my life? But what I had been taught, I could never really shake it. I knew that God was real. I knew that Jesus was real. But I wished that Jesus wasn't real. Because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I did do what I wanted to do. And as most of you know, I self-destructed and ended up in prison for 10 years. But the, the wages of sin is death. It's a fact of life. I believe that the majority of professing Christians, this is based on my experience... Most of the professing Christians that I've ever known, or that I hear of, or what I see coming out of other churches and other denominations, most professing Christians do not want to see God. Yet alone spend eternity with a God that they really in this life had very little interest in. Why do I say this? Because few and far between are the children of God who truly have a heart of worship. Few and far between. Praise God. They're the children of God. And I pray that most of us here today truly have a heart of worship and love the Lord. But few there are that desire to be in the Lord's house more than anywhere else. And the question today is, where is your heart? How many of God's people desire more than anything else, more than going to the Seahawk game, more than spending time with family, more... How many people really this is the highlight of their week is right now this hour this is the highlight they're few and far between to have an opportunity to go and learn more of christ for most christians sunday morning is a duty not a privilege we have to go to church on sunday that's what we do especially as baptists that's that's just what we do um if i didn't go to church today something would be wrong and you're right but the desire there is a reason that there are half of the people in sunday school as there is in the worship service in almost every church in this country i don't care it could be the best baptist church that i've ever been in it seems like half of the people show up for sunday school do they not teach jesus in sunday school Are they not talking about the Lord like they are in the worship service? So why do people not show up for Sunday school? And why do people not show up for Sunday night? They show up for the worship service. That's the best singing. That's the best preaching. You know, but the desire, where is our heart? Most professing Christians don't really have a love and a desire for God. And forget about the midweek Bible study. The number of people, percentage-wise, that show up to midweek Bible study usually, compared to Sunday morning worship, it's staggering. Where's our heart? It's simple. In their mind, they have a better place to be. Otherwise, they would be in church. Right. You would be in Sunday school if you didn't have a better place to be. So ask yourself, why was it better to be where you are or have to be in Sunday school than in the Lord's house? Oh, we have our reasons, but is it better than learning more of Jesus? We have reasons like our job, perhaps. Doesn't allow me to go. Maybe you need a better job. Um, oh, my family. We're late risers. Well, get some discipline. Yes. What about junior sports? He'll never be a pro baseball player if we go to church on, you know, uh, Sunday night. Because the tournaments, all the tournaments for, I was talking to a preacher recently in Kentucky and down there they worship basketball. In, In Colorado it's football and baseball and in different regions of the country families have different gods. And they allow it to take away from the worship service. And in Kentucky, it's basketball. And the devil knows what he's doing. He uh, makes it so that kids don't have their tournaments on Saturday. And since when was it wrong to have a tournament conclude and begin on Saturday for kids? But no, it's got to begin on Saturday, but it ends. The good games are on Sunday. It used to be professional sports did it on Sunday. and Now they got junior doing it on Sunday. And Baptists just go right along with it. Sometimes it's a baby's sleep schedule. I couldn't tell you the number of times I've had people tell me that I'm not going to be able to make it to Sunday night service until, you know, the baby's old enough to, because, you know, the baby goes to bed at like seven o'clock. And so they let the baby dictate when they go to the Lord's house. If something keeps us from the house of God to learn more about Jesus, is that not idolatry? That's just a simple question. It's idolatry. Isaiah 29, let's get to our passage here. Where is your heart? Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Wherefore the Lord said, said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me, It's not taught by the commandments and what's actually in the Word of God. Their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. So they're religious toward God, but it's actually the writings of men and the doctrines of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe to them for that, that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turnings of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He hath no understanding? As Isaiah the prophet penned these words, of whom was he speaking in verse 13? And this is where we get our our, our challenge for the day. The question, where is your heart? When it says in verse 13, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, they do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Who is he talking about? During the entire existence of Israel, up until this point, Israel would fall into pagan idolatry when they went away from God. If you remember, they would worship the gods of the pagan countries around them—the Ammonites and the Amorites and the Hittites and all those—and and, and uh, sometimes it would be Baal, they would the god Moloch, um, you name it. They would always worship idols, paganism, and all these uh, things. They didn't so much fear. The God, when it says here, um, their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. It wasn't so much that way. They either worship God or it seemed like they followed after paganism. So, what would this passage be talking about? The Word of God, as it does so many times, answers our questions for us. And that's why we'll go, go ahead and go to Mark chapter 7. There's always been hypocrites. And this passage would apply to people during that time even. There would be people who claimed to worship God and love God and their heart was far from God. But it's interesting in Mark chapter 7 how Jesus quotes this passage and he says who this passage was speaking about. Mark chapter 7 and verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when he saw some of his disciples eat bread with with defiled hands, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, eat not, holding to tradition, notice this, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash and eat not, or they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as washing of Cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples, notice this, according to the tradition of the elders. They didn't say, Why walk not your disciples according to the commandments of the word of God? (laughs) Even according to the law of Moses. No, why don't they walk after the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah, which is Isaiah, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it and notice this Jesus sa- says this How be it in vain do they worship me? Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men as washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own traditions. And so we see that Jesus Christ applied Isaiah in his writing to the relig- religious leaders of his day. And Jesus knew exactly. Who that applied to because he's God. And Isaiah penned the words of God. The Pharisees were religious. Very religious. And they honored God with their mouth. If you read even of Paul when he was talking about how he was a Pharisee. And and so forth. Um, Very, very religious. They worshipped. But in verse 7 it said, In vain do they worship me? Which we'll get to in a moment. But what a sobering thought. Just think about that for a moment before we continue. In vain, do they worship me? And how much of worship in the name of Jesus Christ today is in complete vanity. It's, it's pointless because of where their heart is. The nation of Israel now by the time of Jesus had a new form of idolatry. No longer since their captivity, boy, they learned their lesson. When they were hauled off into captivity and they went into Babylon, they never, until the time of Jesus, they never ever went back. No, there probably wasn't one Jew who worshipped Baal after that. Boy, they learned their lesson. But like Satan does so many times, he likes to take the truth and he twists it. And it's like, well, if we can't get them to just flat out worship pagan idols, then we'll get them to worship uh, their own works. We'll get a false form of Christianity, if you will. We'll put another flavor on true religion, and we'll muck it up. And we'll just throw as much into the mix as possible, and man just gobbles it up. Man just wants to add all these things to his religion. And, uh, um, and then next thing you know, they're no longer worshiping God, but they're worshiping the actual religion that's supposed to be about that God. And it all becomes tradition. And that's what happened with the Jews. Instead of simply having the law of Moses in the Old Testament, instead of having the Torah, which is the Pentateuch, they added the Babylon Talmud in around 500 BC. And then the Jerusalem Talmud came along in about 350 BC, which was their interpretations and additions to the law. And according to the Pharisees, and even Judaism of today, the oral tradition and the Talmud holds more weight than the original law itself. And that's what Satan does. And so they have their religion, and they're very religious, and it's all in the name of God. Jehovah. It's all in the name of God. But it's completely missed the point because they worship their tradition more than they worship the God. Do these words of Isaiah apply to us today? Of course it does. The word of God is timeless, and the people today have all the same ungodly, sinfully depraved nature as they ever had. But let's transport this from the time of Jesus, speaking to the religious Jews, to the age of Christianity in the words of Jesus. The same basic principles. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. So in Mark 7, Jesus is addressing those who vainly worship God according to their own traditions. And in Matthew chapter 7, He addresses people who vainly worship Jesus Christ and rely on their good works. Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many, many will say to me in that day. Notice that. Jesus here is saying that man is going to answer to him. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, one of these days at the great white throne, you are going to answer to Jesus Christ himself. And he says here, many professing Christians will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. So they're calling Jesus, Lord. Did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, did we not cast out devils? And in thy name, Jesus Christ, done many wonderful works. Then will I, that is Jesus Christ himself, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from from me, ye that work, iniquity so here we're no longer talking to we like to pick on the pharisees they're easy the sadducees and so forth but here we have christians professing the name of jesus jesus says they will say unto me lord lord did we not do these things in your name so it's no longer about the religious leaders of jesus time it's about those who were going to come it's about those in christianity itself Who say, Lord, Lord. The Pharisees would never call Jesus Lord. But according to Jesus, He will cast people into hell who call Him Lord. Those who vainly worship Him. They say, oh, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Not only did they profess Jesus as Lord... They were religiously they were religious and actively so they were active they said have we not prophesied have we not of uh, many false prophets who have come and gone in the name of Jesus how many people have started how many theological experts have started denominations how many Preachers have there been who dedicated their entire life to creating a new branch of Christianity. Only to die and go to hell. Mm, There's going to be many saying, many saying unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? How many preachers and church leaders perhaps just viewed it as a good career? Centered around helping people navigate life in the name of Jesus. Or they just are fond of the spotlight. And like being relevant. It always bothers me when preachers and teachers only have a desire to be in church when they can be heard. There's a lot of ministers that are too good to sit and listen to other people preach and teach. They don't want to show up even for the, as long as they're not teaching and preaching, why go to church? There's a lot of preachers that are like that. There's preachers that will go to good conferences and they'll show up at the conference and they might listen to one message before they get up to preach. But after they get up and preach, then they're done and they got their business or their things to attend to. And it's amazed me. I, I run into it and this is in good, good conferences you know, I'll fly 1,500 or 1,000 miles and I'm just glad to be where there could be a good conference. And people who live, preachers who live right there, uh, they'll, they'll drive to the conference because they were asked to preach there and they'll preach that. You don't see them the rest of the conference. I'm like, That's kind of weird. But then you have people in churches who want to teach and have a position of something, but they can't make it to all the services. You see, there's something wrong when... You want to be an expert and you want to share your knowledge and boy, you love the Lord and you, and you spend all this time in his word and you just have this wealth of information that you got to get out. But you yourself don't have a desire to be taught and learn of God. See, that's a rabbit trail I could continue to run down, but there's a problem with people's heart. It's where is your heart today? There's a problem even among religious leaders of our day that they only want to be heard. They don't have a thirst to learn of God. And then he says that they cast out devils in Jesus' name. From Catholicism to the Charismatics down through history. You got old-fashioned exorcists to Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland. I have personally talked to someone who was telling me, he's cast out demons. He's like, yeah, he's like, he said he also believed in sinless perfection. The guy's a complete heretic. But he told me that you know he's literally seen demons come like... He saw this one guy who was a demon just came right out the end of his, uh, end of his fingers and, and all this stuff. This guy's like... He wasn't like some 22-year-old you know wise guy. This guy was like 75 years old and he'd been in the ministry a long time telling me all the things that he's seen and everything. Um, see, there's going to be people in hell at the great white throne and they're going to be saying, Lord, Lord... Didn't we cast out devils in your name? In the name of Jesus, I command whatever. And then he says, and done many wonderful works. Great and mighty works is what it's speaking about. Perhaps even borderline or or actually miraculous works. We did these works in your name. And then there's highly recognized works. Great feats in the name of God. Consider all the mighty, miracle, powerful works of charity. All the charitable organizations in the name of Jesus. All the hours spent volunteering and boosting one's self-esteem. Soaking, not that there's anything wrong with this stuff, but when the focus is wrong, it's, there's so much that can be done in the name of Jesus. And there are good things done in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> But when they're trying to justify themselves before God, they're justifying themselves by what they did. But Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these mighty works and wonderful things in your name? They're not claiming the blood of Christ. Right. They're not saying, but Jesus, didn't you die for me? Yes. See, that's where the focus is wrong. Is right. so much of Christianity is stuck on, but didn't I fill in the blank? Right? Right? It's not on, but didn't Jesus die for me? Amen. Didn't I believe? If, we, if you're ever going to insert a uh, I in anything about your salvation, it should be, but didn't I, didn't I pray? No, but it should be, but didn't, I, I believed. And so our peace and our, and our comfort comes from knowing what God and Christ did for yes. us. Yes. And so Christianity, so much of Christianity... It's full of lost people whose heart is far from God. Now, throughout history of Christianity, there have been periods where churches of all kinds experience cold deadness. In the midst of these extreme, dead, lifeless forms of Christianity, like we're in today, there would spark up a revival or an awakening in which the religious would actually be saved from their dead Christianity. When we look at the great awakening that happened in America, the revivals that happened, the majority of the people that were getting saved were people who were church members. It's amazing. The revival sparked up in the Puritan churches and the Congregationalists and all these other false forms of Christianity where they were full of lost people, but religious people, like we heard in our testimonial today, and good people but they were spiritually dead their heart was far from god and when they were saved they got out of those churches and they went to where the people of god actually were they didn't try to reform it the problem with the reformers is that they tried to reform a dead religion whereas those who were baptistic the Waldenses or the Albigenses or people back then that already existed when Luther and Calvin came along. They were already there. The people of God were already here. Right. But the problem with those people is they tried to reform the corruption and they just ended up with more corruption. Their heart was far from God. And so this is what we see where we are in our segment of every segment of Christianity today, and unfortunately, even in Baptist churches, their mouth, with their mouth, they honor God, but their heart is far from Him. We just saw it this past Christmas nationwide. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know why I never noticed it before. This is the worst Christmas I've ever seen on Facebook, on a national scale. Posts of churches closing their services or counseling half of their services. And getting reports back on, we had half of the people in the morning services we normally do. This was a pathetic Christmas because it happened to land on the Lord's Day. Churches just shut their doors. Churches in which I would never dream of such a thing. Did you know that Christmas is an invention of men? I'm not here to rant on Christmas. But like it says here, you hold the traditions of men and the precepts of men in the name of God in higher esteem than you do the God of the Bible. And it's a pathetic thing when on a day that is supposed to be all about Jesus, churches are empty. What's wrong? Christianity has just fallen so far, it's worse than it's been that I can remember. And I'm not that old, but come on. Did you know that tradition, Easter is a tradition of man. You cannot find a commandment in the Word of God where it says, that you should, and this do in remembrance of me. I want you to celebrate Easter. After Jesus rose, He did not tell them, I want you to remember the day that I rose from the dead. He did it. Uh, what he did do, he said, this do in remembrance of me. He did give us some things that we should do, yes. didn't he? Yes. Amen. And what does it remember? It remembers his work on the cross. It remembers the blood that he shed. It remembers the, his body that he gave up that he might die for our sins. It's about the work of salvation. So there is something, there is a tradition There is an observance that we are supposed to do. Jesus said this, do. And that is neglected half the time in churches. And we got Christmas and Easter and all these other things and our advents and all these other things going on. Christianity is in a horrible state. We have helicopter drops for Christmas Christmas eggs in churches. Like over me and Rachel were driving down the road in Spokane last year. And I think it was on Sprague. And there's one of those big, you know, mega church type things. And they got a sign out front talking about how they're going to have the helicopters going to drop all the Easter eggs. On the Lord's Day. It just gets bigger and better. It's, it's pathetic. Where are we? Our hearts are far from God. It's all in the name of Jesus. But it doesn't, the worship is vain. It's vain worship if your heart isn't close to God. If Jesus was really... I'm going to relate to what we talked about in Sunday school. Remember what I was talking to you about how when there has been real revival, how people worshipped on the Lord's Day? It's an all-day thing. And what I'm going to propose to you, it may sound absolutely absurd, but this is how people at times when God really works... And people's heart is close to God, this is what they actually want to do every Sunday. But listen to this proposal I put to you, and maybe we can do this next time Christmas shows up on a Sunday. If Jesus was really the reason for the season, if our hearts were really close to God, church members across this country, it's a national problem, church members across this country. Would have been asking the pastors if we could have a special all-day worship service. See, too many times we rely on the pastor to run the show, right? We'll say, it's not all about the pastor. The pastor's just another member. But why can't the members get together and say, can we do more for Jesus? Can we have more prayer meetings? Can we have more Bible studies? See, but our hearts are far from God, and we'd just rather just blame the pastor for the deadness in our churches. If we could have a special, pastor, can we have a special all-day worship service this Christmas? Here's how we could do it, pastor. We could have Sunday school, and then we could have our normal worship service. But then after that, let's have a Christmas dinner with the church family of God, since it's all about family. Let's have Christmas with the family of God. Because Jesus is the reason for the season. And then... Let's, let's have another preaching service. So now this sounds more like a regular fellow. This sounds like today. That's what we're going to do today, right? So far. We're going to have another preaching service at 1.30. Okay, we could probably handle that on Christmas. But then after that, because it's Christmas, let's have a special day. Then after that service, let's observe the Lord's Supper. Because that's actually what he told us to do in remembrance of him. Not open presents under a Christmas tree. He told us to actually observe the Lord's Supper. So let's do that on Christmas. Because our hearts are close to Jesus. And then after that, let's just sit around for an hour and, and let's just have a time of testimonials where let's just share what the Lord has done for us this last year. And anybody who's just been saved can share what God has done. And then let's sing a few more songs of Zion. And then let's finish our day with a final preaching service. We could walk out of here about 5 p.m. so we could actually, it was a privilege. We, if we time it right, we could literally have church and spend time with the Lord on Christmas. Right? Imagine that craziness. From ten o'clock to five o'clock, pretty much fill up our day, and then we can go home and have a restful night. And nobody's clamoring to do that because our hearts aren't close to God. Would that not have been enjoyable? What if we would have done that? Would that not have been enjoyable? But to propose that in our society, in Christianity today, you're a complete wacko if you want to do that. You just love Jesus too much. It's uncomfortable. It's actually uncomfortable for people to actually consider doing that on Christmas. That's not appealing at all to Christianity. What if all the Baptist churches in America had actually done that? Some, something similar. They actually use, when Christmas, when Christmas shows up on Sunday, they actually use it as an opportunity to just spend that day worshiping God. Imagine that. Do you think that Jesus Christ, the reason for the season, would be disappointed? But see, Jesus isn't really the reason for the season. We're religious, and we like to say these things, but our hearts are far from God. Right. right. <sighs> How much do we really want to go to heaven? If we have a problem with spending a whole day worshiping God down here, what do you think eterni- What do you even think eternity is going to be like? Well, I'll be different then. I'll, I'll be perfect. I'll be, I'll be the way I'm supposed to be. And so heaven will be wonderful because God will change me. I'm telling you right now, according to the Word of God, we're going to look at if your heart isn't in love with Jesus down here. And if your priorities aren't right down here, there's a really good shot that you're going to be one of those standing there saying, Lord, Lord, but I was a Baptist. Our hearts are far from God. A mark or indication of a person whose heart is close to God is that that person, you cannot keep them out of the church. When a person is close to God, Good luck talking them into going and doing something on the Lord's Day. I ain't doing that. I don't mean church. Oh, you guys are having a, even another church. Oh, you guys are having a Bible study? Oh, if it's a church like faith and practice. Man, the thing, hey man, you want to go over? I hear that they're having a Bible study over there in Deer Park or over there in Spokane or whatever. Hey, you guys, you guys want to go with me? You know, that's what people that, we want to go be and encourage the people of God and be where we can learn more about Jesus. Yes, yeah. Because if the teaching is proper, that's where it will lead. When doors are open, they just want to be there. Not only in their church, but when special services are in the area. I would hate to know that I missed out on some special preaching services in my area. Why is assembling so essential? You might say, well, all you're talking about, you're talking about just church stuff and assembling and, and all this. Why is it so important to assemble? Because, I mean, I read my Bible every day. I pray to Jesus every day. I don't need to go to church every week. I, I, I love Jesus. I don't need to assemble. Um, so why is assembling so essential? Is attending the house of God even linked with a heart that is close to God? Because what if you just have a good relationship? I can't, it makes me want to vomit the number of times that I've heard people tell me that they have a good relationship with Jesus, but they care nothing for church. Right. You're deceived. The heart is deceitful. Yes. You're deceived because it's not according to the Word of God. Turn to John chapter 3 to start with. We're also considering, do you even really want to go to heaven? A soul that is close to God can't get enough. It cannot. It's always thirsty. A soul, the the closer you get to God, the more you want. In the times of my life when I have gotten close to God, I want to hang on to that as long as I can. Because I know it's not always going to be like that. And I don't want to do anything that will take me away from where I am at that moment. You want to avoid all the things that might... Displease the Lord. When you, if you've ever been full of the Holy Ghost, or you've ever gotten really close to God, they're special, because you know it's not all the time. And when that happens, it changes you, and your perspective changes, and you want more of God. The closer you are, the more you want. Amen. Amen. We look at the churches in the, in, the, in the book of Acts. How could they have, every day they were meeting, every day in the temple, and going house to house what's wrong with those people couldn't they ever get enough no actually they couldn't you have to live your life here's how our perspective should be i have to live my life and i have to provide for my family and i have responsibilities um but man every time the house of god is open that's where i want to be that's where your love should be we have responsibilities and we have things that we need to do and we can have things that are entertaining I, i love football i love sports and i like to sit back my wife actually tells me you need to you need to kind of shut it down and stop studying for a minute. And you need to go take a break because, you know, you can, we're human and we need to take a break. But man, it's good to be close to the Lord. Amen. And so I want to know, we should be in a mode where I want to know more about Him so that I can be more like Him. Because if you don't know anything about him, how are you going to be like him? And our desire is to be like him. Okay? John 3, 1 John 3 1. I said John, I think, but 1 John 3 1. This will make more sense than John 3. (laughs) That's a good, very good passage. But uh 1 John chapter 3. Speaking of heaven, behold What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God? Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that's where everybody usually stops. It'll be wonderful because when I get to heaven, I'll finally get to see Him. And when I see Him, then I'll be like He is. And this is the great thing about going to heaven. But there's work to be done. There's work to be done here. And the next verse is very important for us. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You don't wait to get to heaven to be what you know you... No. Know. If you really want to go to heaven, you begin being as Christ-like as you could possibly yes. be while you're down here. That's where your heart is supposed to be. That's your joy. Every man that hath this hope... Not some men. And some men that have this hope. No. Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself. Now we fail miserably. But Christian growth is supposed to to be a growth process. Purify it. It's an ongoing process. Where are we? Where are you at? Is this the greatest joy of going to heaven? I get to meet my Savior who died and rose from the dead for me. And I can't wait to get to heaven because I get to see him and be with him our relationship with Jesus. It's not, yes, we know there's streets of gold, and there are blessings beyond compare. We have no idea the joys and the the things that He has uh, prepared for us, right? No idea. I just trust that I don't need to know because He's God, and He knows what's good for me, and I can't wait to get there. But our focus is supposed to be I want to go to heaven because I get to see my Savior. And if Jesus isn't your Savior, you got no business going to heaven. Your desire is all messed up. You might say, oh, I want to go to heaven when I die. But if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you got no place there, and you have no reason to go to heaven. You better repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 says this, concerning why this assembling, though, is so important. So first we discussed, we looked at how We need to be more like Christ. We need to purify ourselves if we really want to go to heaven. If we really desire to be like Him, we begin that process now. Well, how does that happen? Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven. Begin to wrap it up here. Ephesians four and verse eleven. God has intended for all this to take place in the church, the local church, and He gave some apostles and some He's gifted men. And he says, and he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? It's not the end of the sentence. Here's why. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all, I have this on all caps. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. We're not supposed to be doing this on our own. We're not supposed to be doing the Christian life on our own. Striving to be more like Christ. Learning more about Christ. But I'm just going to do it on my own. No, 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 no. It's Look at this. It says, this is in the church. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge. Notice. This is what he gave us, all these evangelists and pastors and teachers and so forth, for the perfecting, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And notice this, in the knowledge of the Son of God. If you want to be more like the Son of God, you need to have some knowledge of the Son of God. And so we need more knowledge of the Son of God. And he says, unto a perfect man. Well... First John 3.3 3 had said, Every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Well, with the knowledge of the Son of God, we, we're striving to come unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That henceforth we be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men in cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in Him in all things. Notice it's still about Christ. Grow up in Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So why do we have a desire to come to the house of God? That I might gain even more knowledge today. I want to walk yes, out of here today when Pastor pastor preaches his message. I want to know more about the faith that I should have. We want to know more about Jesus Christ. It's all about when we go to the house of God on Wednesday night, or a midweek men's Bible study, women's Bible study, when we get together for prayer and the men are discussing the things of God, it's always supposed to be about Christ and growing together as a body. That's how He intended it. And if our heart doesn't desire that, then there's something wrong. I'm not saying we're lost, but our heart has drifted, it's far from God.
1: Our priorities
0: are all messed up. And too often we're worshiping in vain. Jesus said, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandment of men. In vain do they worship me. What a frightening indictment to have Jesus Christ himself say, In vain they worship me. I really hope, I don't believe it's the case. I hope this is not a church that vainly worships Jesus Christ. And so, where is our heart? I want my worship to just be the beginning of an eternity of worshiping and loving Jesus. Our worship today should just be the beginning of worshiping Jesus for eternity. So as I conclude, and I've gone long, but once again, it shouldn't really matter, right? If we're learning more about Jesus. Right. So, what camp are you in this morning? I mentioned there's three of us here today. And I've mostly been preaching to save people. Was your heart close to Him at one time, but you have strayed? How is it that people are saved for... I often joke around that pastor was saved before I was born. Brother Kilgard was saved. That We were talking this week, he was saved the year I was born. But why is it that sometimes people that have been saved five years are more on fire for God and closer to God and know more about the Word of God than people who have been saved for 50? See, we're supposed to be growing, purifying, becoming closer to God all the time. And people who were saved when they were 20 and they're 80 now should be so close to God. But we're trapped in these human bodies and we drift And we wander, and we go through periods. I've heard testimony after testimony of, I just was on cruise control for a while. Well, if you're on cruise control, you're actually going backwards, right? It's a growth. It's a process. And so this is how you can be saved at 20 and be 80 and not really be close to God. Oh, we need to get close to God. We need to get back to where we're supposed to be. So it's not that we're not saved, but there's something wrong. James says in uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, Draw nigh to God. And notice this part. He will draw nigh to you. He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And here we are again. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then we have... Those who are close to God, not where they want to be. Because see, those who are close to God are never truly satisfied. The closer you get to God, the more you realize how sinful you are. And the outside person might see, man, he's, he walks so close to God. He's so spiritual. But if you read Paul, did not Paul the apostle lament the fact that who shall deliver me from this body of sin, right? I mean, he saw himself as a wretched sinner. And he was the Apostle Paul. So, but are you close to God? Just keep clinging to Him and continue. Continue growing. You're not there. You haven't arrived. Never be passive. Remain close to God. And then there are those in the third camp. So we have those who are saved, but they're not as close as they once were. Draw an eye to God. He'll draw an eye to you. And there's those that are close to God. And we need to continue. And then there are those here this morning that are completely separated from God. Heart is far from God. There's a gulf there. It's never been united. If you have never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your condemnation that you're currently in, you are destined for the lake of fire. That is a fact. Your only hope is to believe. It's not complicated. There's not this impossible list of good deeds that you must do. Your only hope is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. and What He already did for you. You don't have to beg for God to do something for you. Because He did it. He already did everything that must be done in this sense that he died and paid the penalty for your sin. And you can pray to God and ask him to give you the faith to repent yes. and believe, right. right? But the work of salvation was done. It's only on you to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. In being saved, you will become a son of God. Did you notice how many times in the verses we read that it said, We are the sons of God. For those of us who are saved, we are the sons of God. You can be a son of God, a daughter of God, by simply believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be a part of the family of God, which is so much better than the family you were born into. And then when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you confess it. I believe. I have, tru- I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from my sin and the penalty of my sin. And then you be baptized, identifying with Christ, and you join his church. In doing so, Jesus will completely change your life. When you're really saved, every person in here who is really saved, their life is different. Yes. I can tell you, I can only speak for me, but God completely changed my life. And he gives you hope and peace. And the reason that your, hope, your life will be so different is because he's going to give you a new nature. Amen. And you won't just be stuck with your dead sin nature. As a child of God, if you trust in him today, he will give you eternal life. Today. You don't receive eternal life when you die. You receive eternal life when you are saved. And you will never, ever not be a child of God. Amen. There is comfort and peace in that. You can rest tonight knowing, no matter how long I live, I am going to heaven when I die someday. And I cannot lose that salvation because he promised it. And by having eternal life, you will be blessed to spend eternity in heaven with our God. With blessings we cannot even comprehend. I pray that today will be the day of your salvation if you're here today and you're not saved. Just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll do the work. Amen. Pastor.